audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I want to welcome you, uh, not only to Stone Oak Bible Church, but I want to welcome you to our time together in 2 Peter. We are kicking off this incredible book, so I want to invite you to settle in. To uh, If you have your text open, open it up to 2 Peter, and, and let, let's be ready um, for what God has to say to us through his word this morning. We have a lot of ground to cover. Uh, warning. So let's come together, let's pray, and then let's just dive right in. Would you pray with me? Lord, would you use this time together this morning? Lord, we pray that we walk out of this place knowing you more. God, regardless of what our, our week has looked like, what even this morning has looked like, God, I just pray that all of us, that you would calm our minds and our hearts and open our hearts and minds to your word. Would you speak this morning, and Lord, would you give us the ears to hear? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, I, I want you to think for a moment as we kick into this, this letter, of what you would consider to be your greatest failure. <laughs> You're like, That's a great way to start a morning, right? Think about what you would consider to be your greatest whoops, the greatest mistake that you have made in your life. Can you think of it? Whatever it is, I would have a really difficult time believing that it could be greater than the failure of Simon Peter. Whatever you're working with, I would have a hard time believing that it would be greater than the failure of Simon Peter. See, Simon Peter was called by Jesus, loved by Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He sat under Jesus' teachings. In fact, he was in Jesus' innermost circle. This was Simon Peter. We know that Jesus changes his name from Simon to Peter, signifying the change that had taken place in this man's life, and we know that Christ gave him just a powerful calling. Peter was being groomed and discipled to do great things for the kingdom. He was the man, and then the unthinkable happens. The unthinkable happens. Jesus was on his way to accomplish his work on the cross. He was on his way to, to do what he had been sent to do. Jesus was on his way, and, and Peter was, was discipled for this very moment. He was to be courageous and to be bold. He was to lead in this moment, the moment that it was all about had come. The moment of Jesus' greatest need had come. Jesus was arrested, and here's the moment. And it was in this moment that Simon Peter denies Jesus publicly three times. The Savior, if you think about it this way, the Savior was giving himself, our Savior was giving himself for Simon Peter at the same time that Simon Peter was publicly denying him. This was 
This is Peter. Everything led to this moment, and then Peter fails hard. And listen, we often try to kind of hide our greatest flaws. We try to kind of hide the the things that we're struggling with, but not Peter. And not the letter of 2 Peter. Because this, our letter, 2 Peter, our letter was not just written by Peter, the apostle, the man, the leader, the pastor, the friend of Jesus. No, our letter was written by Simon Peter. Warts and failures and all, this is Simon Peter. And here in the greeting of this letter, there's something beautiful to see. See, we're going to talk about growing in our faith this morning. We're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about forgiveness. And who better to hear this from than Simon Peter, who can say with integrity, regardless of the size of your failure, the grace of our God is more. See, this wasn't just Peter the apostle, but Simon Peter, the servant and apostle. Um, And we understand right off the, the bat as we get into this letter that this letter was written by Peter in considerable concern. Uh, Peter wrote this, this letter at the very end of his life. Many believe he was in prison. If not in prison, he knew it was right around the, the corner. He was experiencing great and tremendous persecution. His life was being threatened at the hand of the Roman Empire, uh, specifically under the reign of, if you're any, a history buff in here, me too, um, all two of us in the room, I'm sure, but uh, Emperor Nero was the emperor at this time, and he was experiencing incredible persecution under this emperor's reign. This emperor would eventually be the one who takes Peter's life. He's also the one who took the apostle Paul's life. And and this is what he was facing. But Peter's great concern was not only for his life. Peter's great concern is far bigger than that. Here's the concern of Peter. The apostles were dying. I want you to think about this. The apostles were dying. This means that the church was coming into a new age. The church was coming into this age after the apostles And here in this letter, Peter is deeply concerned with the way the church is going to function after the apostles are no longer around. How is the church going to progress when the apostles are not here any longer? The church was coming into a new age. It's important to understand in light of this that this, this epistle is not like many of the others. For example, 1 Corinthians, we just walked through that as a church. 1 Corinthians was written to one, by Paul, to one specific local church, the church at Corinth. One specific church in a specific time. This letter, this epistle is not like that. This letter is, is not really written to one specific church. Peter writes this letter instead to the global church. To, to the global church from the time of Peter's death, or writing this letter, 
to the return of Jesus. He's writing to the church globally in that span of time. It's a global letter. It is a timeless letter. So to put this bluntly, I want you, to, you and I to realize something as we open it together. The intended audience of this letter from Peter is you. Not them. Not back then. You. You are who Peter had in mind as he penned this letter, as he wrote these things. You are the audience. You are the people. We are the church that Peter had in mind. And I love the statement he makes in verse 1. Just think about this. Peter says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, it's the apostles by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, equal or faith of equal standing by the righteousness of Christ. Don't miss this. That is Peter the apostle saying this. Peter the apostle saying that we are equal because of Jesus Christ. Don't miss that. The righteousness of Christ is applied to you in the same way and to the same extent as it was applied to the apostle himself, and that is awesome. That is awesome. Verse 2, as we work to this to get to our first section this morning. Peter says, verse two, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Uh, hear me, Peter is going to talk about knowledge. Use the word knowledge to know. He's gonna talk about knowledge of God and of Jesus 16 times in this short letter with only three chapters. Peter is deeply concerned about this. Anything you repeat three times, or 16 times in three chapters, this is an area that Peter is deeply concerned with. Because understand, understand here, because of what Peter is dealing with in this letter, because of what his life situation is like being persecuted, because of the fact that he knows that the apostles are no longer going to be here, the tenor of this letter is urgent, it is a letter that is primarily to confront false doctrine, and it is an urgent tone of warning. That's what this letter is. And see, the church was stepping into this new season where the apostles weren't going to be around to ask their questions. The apostles weren't going to be around to kind of guard the gates of the church. And so Peter is writing this to offer protection and guidance. Let me just push this further. He's writing this to offer us protection and guidance. Here in the first section that we're going to look at together, Peter is encouraging us to continue to grow in our faith. This is such a practical and rich uh, text and message of hope this morning. And so to all of us who desire to grow in our faith, Simon Peter, the uh, servant, the apostle of Christ, is going to encourage us this morning. He's going to challenge us this morning. So with that said, let's look at our first section. We're going to dive in right at verse 3. Verse 3, look with me together at verse 3. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I, I want to focus in quickly on that three-letter word, all. His divine power has granted uh, to us 
all things that pertain to life and godliness. This is a word of totality. It's not some, it's not a fair amount, it's not a good enough amount, it is not most, it is not nearly all, it is all things that pertain to life and to godliness. In other words, our God's not holding out on us. He's not holding back on us. He's given us all that we need through his son, through his spirit, through his word. And so if you're here and you're looking for answers, they are here. If you're here and you are searching, you can find it all here. All, all. See, church, this isn't only a text about our salvation. But this is a text also about our growth in Christ, our sanctification. This isn't only a letter about how we are saved in Christ. This is a letter about our life in Christ as those who have been saved. This is a letter to believers, to the church, reminding us that the Spirit of God indwells us, has given us all that we need, not only for salvation, but for growth in grace and holiness and godliness as our faith grows. And so it says that he has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We continue through the knowledge, there's that word again, of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. So here again, Peter talks about knowledge. It's, and I want you to understand, it's to know. You're like, duh. To know, not to know about, but to know. Like a friend knows a friend, like a spouse knows a spouse. Not to know about, to know facts about. That's not what I say when I say that I know my wife. It's to know. It's to know him. It's to know God himself. And this is what it means to know the God who has called us to himself, called us to his own glory and excellence. Verse 4, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. What are those? I can't help but, but remember Jesus' words in John 16. As he's talking to his disciples here in this text, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. You remember this text? It's to your advantage that I leave. It's to your advantage, because if I don't go away, the helper's not gonna come. But if I do go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. These are the promises of Christ, that he will send the Spirit, and it's better that he go because the Spirit will indwell us, convict us, and make us new creatures in Christ. And this is exactly what our text says here in 2 Peter, as he says, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. And listen to this. So that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. As straightforward as I can say it this morning, it is not God's plan for your life to live a life of sin and corruption. If you're praying and you're like, God, what's your will for me? It's not that. (laughs) It's not that. He has called you out of that and dwelled you with his spirit. He's indwelled you and, and he desires and he has called you to 
do what Peter says, to become partakers of the divine nature. There is something more than this, this flesh. The Christian life is not just this, um, I'll say it like this, not just an open acceptance that while I'm here, I'm flawed. While I'm here, I'm just going to be fleshly until I die. And then after I breathe my last, then I will experience true freedom. That's not the picture of the Christian walk that our scriptures paint for us. Instead, we have been made partakers of the divine nature so that we are able, let me just say this, to escape sin today. Some of you are going, huh? Escape sin today. Battle sin today to escape the sinful desires today. Now, will we do this perfectly? No. No. But the Christian life is not comfortably snuggling up to sin until the day we die and then it's not cool anymore. That's not it. Sin and flesh are no longer your master in Christ, you have a new master. You are no longer slaves to sin. You are servants to Christ. We are called to be partakers of the divine nature and dwelled by the Spirit of God. That is your calling, and that will preach. But I need to move on. All right, so uh, let's go on to verse 5. Listen to this. Verse 5, for this very reason, because God's done this, given us his Spirit, given us his promises, given us the escape from sin and its desires, Peter says this, Make every effort to supplement your faith. It's a strange word. It's an important word. Supplement your faith. Now, um, it's a word literally meaning to add. So, make every effort to add to your faith. Some of you, your radar is pinging as it should be. I mean, it should be going off right now because are you saying that it's faith plus something? Faith plus works? Faith plus anything? Is that what Peter is saying here? No. No. Peter is talking here about a faith in what God has done. He's talking here about the faith in God who has saved your soul. And Peter says, on that... With that as your foundation, on top of that, make every effort to grow in that faith. We're going to drill down into this a little more, but make every effort. You who have responded in faith to Jesus, make every effort now to grow in holiness and in grace. In other words, Peter is saying, you have not been given faith for you just to sit with it and let it atrophy. You have been given a faith that grows. Saving faith is a sanctifying faith because it's the same spirit who accomplishes both. Saving grace is a sanctifying grace. Saving faith grows. And it's not to say that that path of growth is gonna be perfect and linear, that you're gonna go from here to here to hear, if you follow Jesus for any amount of time, you know that it's, it's more like a roller coaster than it is a linear walk. We, we know that, we know that, but your faith is a growing faith. It's a, it's a true faith that grows. Another way to say this, 
to you who are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, Peter is now setting out before you ways that you can strengthen that faith and grow in that faith. You are saved by faith alone. Let me say it again. You are saved by faith alone, but that faith is not meant to remain alone. You are not saved by works. Let me say it again. You are not saved by works, but you are saved by a faith that works. Echoing James, James's epistle already. Now here in our text, Peter says supplement your faith. He's going to give us seven supplements to add to our lives. He's going to list out for us seven supplements to add to our faith in Christ. Add supplements to our walk in our faith in Christ. And quickly, I want us to work through these seven supplements. Um, First, he says, supplement your faith with virtue. The first supplement is virtue. This is goodness, moral excellence. It's doing the things that are good. It's doing the things that are right. A virtuous Christian is, is a Christian who does what is good, does what is right, even when it is not easy, even when it hurts. It's virtue. A virtuous Christian is someone who chooses to do what is right because it is right. Chooses to do what is good because it is good. And because our God is good. For the glory of God, knowing that it pleases our God when we walk in obedience and goodness and virtue. This is virtue. The second supplement, he continues, he says, and virtue with knowledge. The second supplement here is knowledge. Again, for Peter. Concentrates here, as we've already said, on practical knowledge, on on knowledge that is lived out. In other words, it's not just an accumulation of head knowledge, facts about It is knowledge that is lived out. It's the kind of knowledge that makes a distinction between what is true and what is false. Between what is right and what is wrong, what is hurtful and what is encouraging. A Christian with this kind of knowledge is a Christian who is hungry for growth, hungry to know more, hungry to know more of God's word, hungry to know more about God and what God has revealed to us about himself. It's a hungry Christian so that that knowledge will then lead us into a life change and into action for the glory of God, knowing that it pleases our God to grow in the knowledge of him and in his word. This is knowledge. Third, Peter says, in knowledge with self-control. This one's a fun one. It's describing the inner strength to control our desires and cravings. See, it's one thing to grow in our virtue and knowledge, knowing what is right, knowing what is true. But as you'll be able to attest, it takes some self-control to put those into practice. It takes some self-control to conform our lives to that. And just some good news for you this morning. Um, You who are saved by grace, the power of, of Christ, the power of the cross, enabled by the Holy Spirit, you are not a prisoner to any sinful craving or desire. And the Christian with self-control understands the freedom of Christ over sin in the flesh. 
doesn't mean that we are perfect. It means that we know who we are. And this is self-control. It's, it's bringing our desires that we might feel, bringing it and letting Scripture bear on it and, and walking in that, knowing what is right and then walking in what is right. Fourth, Peter says, and self-control with steadfastness. This one is, do you really pray for this one? Um, this is perseverance. This is perseverance. This is the ability of a Christian to persist in times of struggle, in times that are difficult, through doubt, through fear, even in Peter's case, through persecution. In its most literal sense, this word means to be able to walk under the load. So it's literally translated here. To be able to walk under the load. That's perseverance. That's steadfastness. Um, if you want to go deeper in this, uh, the letter right before our letter, 1 Peter, that is the dominant theme of the entire letter. Perseverance, steadfastness. Peter's driving us to this, and he's saying this should mark your life as a believer. A Christian who is steadfast should be able to walk under the load. Not that it is pleasant, but to be able to walk under the load knowing that he will not give up on us. A Christian who keeps persisting, right? Peter continues, fifth supplement is godliness. Godliness. So Peter's already brought this one up too in verse three, saying that he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. But godliness here is the heart of a Christian, just to state it simply, to be like God, to be like Jesus. This is Christ-likeness. To be just and to be fair because that's who our God is. To be holy, to live holy lives because that's who he is and that's what he has called us to be. A Christian who walks in godliness is a Christian who desires to be more like Jesus. Desires to be more like Jesus, to grow in our Christ-likeness. Sixth, Peter says, and with that, let's add brotherly affection. This is phileo love. Um, this is most commonly the word we use for Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love, right? Same word here. It's the idea that we would be concerned with the well-being of those around us. This is the opposite of apathy. This is love for our neighbor. And it often works itself out in generosity. It often works itself out in compassion. This is bearing this, the, the last one was walking under the load, right? Well, this one is seeing your brother or sister walk with a heavy load and saying, let me put a shoulder on that. It's bearing with one another's burdens. Brotherly kindness, brotherly love is relentlessly guarding unity, working to guard ourselves against gossip and slander or anything that would hurt a brother or a sister. A Christian walking with this kind of love is a Christian who lives for more than just yourself. It's bearing with each other's burdens. When's the last time we've done this? And we do this because of our love and the love of Christ in us. Lastly, Peter says, and along with that, let's shift now to agape love. Agape love, the seventh supplement is agape love. This is the desire for the highest good of another person and it demonstrates itself out, it plays out in sacrificial love. 
It's the kind of love that ultimately we see on display in Christ. As he came to this earth and though he was God, he laid aside his rights as God, as Philippians 2 sets out before us, humbling himself to death, even death on a cross. And why? Why did he do this? It's because of his great love. God so loved you that God came down to give himself for you. This is agape love in action. And this is why the scriptures say such a bold sentence, God is love. Because this is who our God is. And a Christian who walks like this is, again, a Christian who lives for something bigger than ourselves. Who gives ourselves for others. A Christian who loves like Christ loves. Who's defined by this kind of love in our homes, in our marriages, in our churches, in our community groups, in our communities at large. Now, I just rifled through seven supplements that Peter gives us in this text. And after hearing these, it's, it's, let's just be honest, it's easy to start to feel pretty beat up. It's easy to hear this and start to feel completely unworthy because we've missed it. Uh, but hear me, that's not what Peter's doing here. Peter here is not saying, hey church, let me discourage your faith because of how much you stink at these things. That's not what Peter is setting out. That's not the reason he puts these before us. Instead, it's the opposite. Peter sets these things out before us so that we may be strengthened by these things, so that our faith might grow and be supplemented like these things. It's like adding supplements to your diet. A little iron, a little vitamin C, B12, adding that to your diet. It's good for you. It's good for your health. That's what Peter is, is, is directing our attention here to. And, and Peter gives us, and I want us to look at these in our next couple verses, two reasons that we should focus our lives on these supplements. Two reasons that we should focus on these supplements. And the first one is found in verse eight. It says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing. Meaning if you practice these things and if you're growing in your ability to practice these things, Peter says, listen to this, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is possible to know about Jesus, to know about what he's done, and yet to be ineffective and useless for the kingdom. Completely unfruitful. Let me say it again. It is possible, church, for us to know about Jesus, to come to church, to be in a community group, and yet to be completely ineffective and not useful for the kingdom, to be completely unfruitful. And so the first reason here that Peter encourages us to give ourselves to these things is to guard ourselves against unfruitfulness. Supplementing guards us against unfruitfulness. Supplementing your diet will guard us against unfruitfulness. Do you want purpose in your life? Do you want to make a difference? Do you want to be effective? Do you want to be fruitful for the Lord in your life? If that's what you want, Peter says, do these things and let these things be increasing in your life. It's not a complex like rocket science here. There's no magic pill for effectiveness in your life in Christ. Peter says, it is simply this, supplement your faith in Jesus with virtue, with knowledge, with self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. 
Give yourself to these things because this is where fruitfulness and effectiveness in Christ is found. And this is how we guard ourselves about being useless. Don't get mad at me. That's Peter's words. Being useless in the kingdom. This is how we guard ourselves against that. And if that's not enough, Peter continues. Because now he's going to tie these virtues not only to our effectiveness in Christ, but second, practicing these things, supplementing, guards us from forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. Listen to verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. It's like we have forgotten who we are in Christ, forgotten the joy of being forgiven and walking with Christ in the Spirit. It's like we have forgotten our identity. You do not work for your faith, but when your faith ceases to work, you tend to forget about it. Say it again. Peter said, you're not working for your faith, but when your faith ceases to work, you tend to start to forget about it. It reminds me of a conversation that I have with my boys nightly. Parents of young children, you might be able to relate to this, but every night, every night, I ask them to go brush their teeth, and I ask them to go get ready for bed, and they'll go after asking them a few times, right? They'll go, they'll brush their teeth, they're going to floss, they're going to wash their mouths out, their mouths are going to be squeaky clean, and as soon as they are done, one of them will come out and say, can I have a snack? Every time, every time. It's like, no, have you forgotten what you just did? Have you forgotten that your mouth right now is clean and yet you're wanting to go back to the pantry? Have you forgotten? Peter says it's a lot like that. As we neglect these things, it's like we have forgotten that we have been cleansed of our sins and it's like we just want to go straight back to that pantry. We have forgotten And hear me, to live in forgetfulness of who we are in Jesus, to live a life like that is a a Christian life that is stripped of all its confidence. Do you want to fight against forgetfulness? Do you want to walk in assurance and confidence in your faith and of the forgiveness that you received in Christ? Peter says again, this isn't, again, rocket science. There's no magic pill for forgetfulness in the God. It's simply this. Peter says this, supplement your faith. And supplement it with virtue, knowledge, with self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly love, and love. Give yourselves to these things. For your effectiveness and fruitfulness, give yourself to these things. For your assurance in faith, give yourself to these things. And now Peter's going to drive us deeper. Look at verse 10. Therefore, brothers, therefore, brothers, Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Notice he does not say here, be all the more diligent to earn your calling and election, to work for your calling and election. No, it is to confirm what has been earned in Christ, to confirm what has been given by God in his sovereignty. It is confirming in our minds who we are through the work of Jesus. This is all about assurance. This is all about assurance. Assurance is knowing what is true about ourselves in Christ. Assurance is is when a believer is able to walk in confidence that they are children of God. This is assurance. And Peter says clearly, your works, 
They don't earn salvation for yourself. But your choices and your obedience to Christ will greatly impact the assurance that you feel in your life. It will impact the assurance that you feel in your identity in Christ. To say it differently, um, our obedience and growth in the faith increases our assurance and confidence in the gospel. And the flip side of this, as Peter says here, our disobedience and neglect of these things leads us to forget that we've been cleansed. Leads us to have what we call here often gospel amnesia. So he says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election because, listen, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Context is important here. This does not say that you're never going to sin again, that you're never going to struggle with sin, never going to fall into sin again. It's not saying that you should be perfect. Remember Peter again, far from that. Remember Peter again is talking about assurance and confidence. He's talking about, as he said, confirming our call in Christ. So Peter says here, if you put these things to practice in your life, if you're growing in these things, you are not going to fall. Your confidence in Christ will not fall. Your assurance in Christ will not fall. You will not waver. Be careful here. Peter is not saying only if you practice these virtues will you be saved. Because your salvation is not something you did. It's not something that you work for. But he is saying to those who have been saved in Christ, he is saying if you practice these things in your life, your assurance of that salvation will never fall, will never fail, it will never waver, and you will never forget. Peter says it like this, and I love this verse, verse 11, for in this way there will be richly provided for you Notice it's not you're providing it for yourself. It's you richly provided for you an entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is yours in Christ. And Peter's purpose here in the opening of this letter is that you know this. That you today know this. That you today know that all that has been promised all of Christ's promises are yours in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And Peter says, because of that, let your faith grow. Let your faith grow. For anyone here who is seeking to grow in your faith, anyone here who is seeking to grow in your assurance of the grace that you have received in God, for anyone here who is seeking to make more of a difference, to be more effective in your life, for anyone here who is, who is seeking to bear more fruit, I want to encourage you this morning to take this text this morning and memorize it. Take the supplements here that Peter gives us and begin to practice them. As Peter says in verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort. This is not passive. He says, church, make every effort to supplement your faith. And I want to encourage you to make every effort this week to practice virtue, to grow in knowledge, to be self-controlled, to persevere through the things that you're going through right now, to grow in godliness, to walk in love, 
with God and for one another. To make every effort to grow in your faith, to supplement your faith. So you'll be able to guard against unfruitfulness. So that you'll be able to guard against forgetfulness. Make every effort. And I want to end with this this morning. Um, This is really important. None of this. None of this is helpful without faith in Christ. Let me say it again. None of this is helpful without faith in Christ. Practicing these things is is apart from Jesus. It's like taking, trying to live on a diet of supplement pills. It's just without any real food. It's like just pounding back B12 without anything else and thinking, oh, I'm good. I mean, vitamin C, B12, fish oils, whatever you do, they're great. They're, they're, they're all great, but they're meant to be added to a diet of real food. And without real food, all of, these, all of the supplements in the world are not going to benefit you. They're not going to benefit your health. And you won't last long on a diet of only supplements. And if you're here and you don't know him this morning, no amount of supplements will do. No amount of practicing goodness and virtue. No amount of knowledge and self-control, no amount of perseverance, no amount of godliness or even love or brotherly affection will lead you to health. Health, none of them will save you. None of them will do apart from Jesus Christ. None of them. And God has invited you to come to him this morning to place your trust in Christ. He's invited you to come and experience his grace. And as you do, we will grow in our confidence that we will spend eternity with Christ. As you do, you will know, and I'm gonna read this again, the truth of verse 11. Listen to this. As you do this, you will know that you will be richly provided for an inheritance into, an entrance into the kingdom, the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You will know this. Let's pray together.